0: Alright, right, three, two, one, we are officially on. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the True Leisure Podcast. Today is the big day. Today is our last episode of this season. Episode nine, these past eight episodes have been amazing and incredibly fun to film, and we're really excited about getting into this ninth episode, and we hope you guys all enjoy Today's episode is a bit of a giant content-wise, which is why we all agreed to do this on our last episode. We're going to be having a discussion on health. Specifically, we're going to be talking about exercise, sleep, and nutrition. But before we get started, we have a couple terms that Alex would like to define, just so that we're clear on what is being talked about. Alex?
1: Well, before that, it might be good to introduce our guest. Oh, Yes. <laughs> Should we, get, should we start
0: over because i I can't believe I forgot that
2: I actually think it's kind of funny.
0: okay um, <laughs> it's because these these last eight episodes have been all without a guest, so I'm just so used oh. to uh, just so so used to getting into the discussion.
2: Well, I'm but, so flattered that you had me as a guest then.
0: Yeah. Uh, t- Today's guest is Miss Swinging from UPA. She's a psychology teacher. Psychology Am I right?
2: and science, yeah. Uh, yes. Science okay. general, because I teach a bunch of other weird stuff. But AP Psych, of course, is my my one true love.
0: And she is here to share her expertise on these three topics because she is obviously a lot more qualified than us to talk about it. <laughs> and she will also be calling us out on every time we're wrong. So you can be assured that we are going to be having a a scientifically accurate at least more accurate
2: moderated <laughs> um
0: okay so alex you want to take it away for the definitions?
1: Yeah. All right so when we were coming up with the plan for this podcast we were thinking that two important terms to define right at the beginning were metabolism and BMI. So first of all, metabolism, it's a term that's used to describe all chemical reactions involved in maintaining the living state. And it's further broken down into two categories. Catabolism, which is like the breakdown of molecules for energy and anabolism which is like the synthesis of everything that you need for, your, for the cells to do their other jobs. And you know, without going, to, I'll go further in depth with that one if we need it, but moving on to BMI, it's a function of a person's weight in kilograms divided by the square of their height meters and the purpose of it is just to classify weight categories and potentially implicate high fat or high body fatness but it's not really it doesn't really account for people on the extremes of the spectrum it's more for like average indications
2: Yeah, it was created as a moderating factor to get generalized opinions on large populations. So it wasn't actually meant to be based for individuals. And we kind of chronically now use it only for measuring an individual's health as far as saying, is their weight in the correct category of their height? But um, as you mentioned, it doesn't really help with some people on different extremes, specifically people who are very muscular, like gymnasts. Uh, We know that gymnasts are often categorized as being overweight or even obese in the BMI scale. And part of that's because they're so muscular that their weight, of course, is heavier since muscle weighs more than fat. And that can give a lot of uh, incorrect information about our overall health.
3: So it would be fair to say that um, muscle density or like um, fat percentage is more of an accurate measurement? That's just harder to get?
2: Yeah, I would say so.
0: Okay, well, that's that for the definition. So just jumping straight into our episode, we're going to start with nutrition. And one of the big things about nutrition that we wanted to talk about was fasting. Now, fasting, I'm sure you guys have heard of fasting and it means going, not eating basically. And every time I talk about fasting to someone who's not aware, they always think that, you know, you're starving yourself but that's not necessarily the case with ways of fasting such as intermittent fasting which we'll talk about and there's many different ways to fast and and one of one of the things that i want to talk about is especially with an intermittent fasting is that one way that people define fasting is just when you're not eating but another way that people define fasting within the fasting world is essentially when your insulin as is at a base level. So with things like intermittent fasting where you go one part of the day without eating and one part of the day with eating. So one of the most common forms of that sixteen eight, which means you fast for 16 hours and then you have an, an eight hour eating window where you can eat all your meals and what that does basically how I've understood it is when you're talking about insulin, insulin usually takes around 12 hours to get back to base level maximum 12 hours. It depends on what you've eaten. So if we take the 12 hour mark as like a maximum for when your insulin is at a base level after 12 hours of not eating, you are essentially burning calories from your body's energy stores such as fat cells. So when you fast for 16 hours, that's 16 minus 12. So there's a four hour window of where you're essentially burning fat is how I've understood it. And there's many different ways to fast. Like I said, there's 16, eight, there's uh, 18, six, there's 24 where you're eating uh, for four hours and you're fasting for 20 hours. And the reason I wanted to talk about fasting is because There, it's sort of risen as this uh, counter movement, if you will, to some of the dieting uh, methods. And the most notable one being the six small meals a day. And for me, I would like, when I talk about my own experience with fasting, is prior to starting this recording, we were talking about. Sports and I talked about how I am. I ran cross country in the past and I still do long distance running, and I've sort of experimented with different methods of dieting and different methods of eating to help uh, increase or help improve my performance within running, and I found that fasting is a is a method that's worked really well for me because. I found that when I run fasted, I'm able to run better and I'm able to run longer as opposed to running after eating something. And I'm curious to know some of your guys' opinions, because I know Alex has also done fasting and I know Gurkirat has also done fasting. So uh, I just want want to know what your guys' experiences have been. Alex, you want to go first?
1: I'll I'll attempt it. Um, You know, it's been a while, but for the most part, for my entire life, I've only eaten like within a six hour period. And this isn't really, this wasn't really on purpose. I don't know what caused it, and it just kept going. And, you know, I've never really put on a lot of weight. Ever, and I usually have pretty high energy levels so I guess if you're looking for like something that isn't the normal for me it would be when I tried to fast for a couple days and during that I definitely felt really hungry like during the first day but then on the second and third which i mean we haven't we're not talking that much about multi-day fasting we're mostly talking about intermittent but just to make the example of something that's atypical for me where i might have felt something different
4: Hmm.
1: after the first day i had pretty stable energy levels for like the two days after that and it's totally
2: fine.
5: My experience with the... Oh, go, go for it.
2: Oh, I was just going to ask, what what are the six hours you generally eat food in?
1: Um, it's usually around dinner time. So, so like
2: starting at like 5, 6? Like 7. 7, 7 p.m.? To
1: 12. Yeah.
2: Okay. So just like full nighttime eating then.
1: Yeah nice what the heck
5: <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah, I was gonna get into my intermittent fasting story so I'm one of the main reasons I decided to try intermittent fasting was weight loss and honestly I really really like the method and I do think that it works for like the short amount of times the short bursts that I do it like weeks at a time um, it works. Like I feel I have more energy. I feel lighter and all that. It's just, uh, to me at least like intermittent fasting isn't sustainable because like, like you said, you have that window where you eat, right? But what's, what happens for me, like, is I miss that window either because I sleep through it or because uh, I'm just not hungry, and I, at the time, and I would rather eat earlier or later or whatever. And so, um, I don't know. That's like that's my issue with the intermittent fasting that it requires you to have that schedule established. But otherwise, like, I can feel that the science does work and feels great. It's just a matter of sustaining it.
2: So, what type of fasting did you do?
5: Oh, I did. Um, I think it's. Uh, I, I, forget, I can't count right now. <laughs> it's from 2 to 8 p.m. So. Okay. Six hours. Yeah,
2: 18.6. 18.6. And you would do that for multiple, like all the entire week, a few days during the week?
5: I would do it for like two weeks and then not do it for a month or two months so you,
2: so you had some good off time um if you if it's not a weird question like how much weight would you lose during your bursts of the intermittent fasting
5: um i would lose like about 15 and i would always like hit a plateau even with working out i would always hit a plateau um at around like a certain point but um every time i stopped fasting intermittently it would rebound back to what it was before so Mm -hmm. it's kind of it's kind of like going it's ups and downs it's like a sine curve with an amplitude of 15.
2: 15 I love the specificity
5: yeah
0: (laughs) I think my experience it's I've tried multiple different fasting methods and for me I think the most effective one has been OMAD which is one meal a day and but a big meal. <laughs> yeah, um it, it's it's interesting because you think that if you're e- if you're not eating for 22 23 hours and then eating within a 1 hour window, you think that you eat a lot. But it's actually the opposite I have found as like you go uh, more into it, you tend to eat a lot less than you think you will. And it's it I just thought that was interesting and for me uh, I did it for multiple reasons. I did it for a weight loss and I also did it because I was lifting weights. And for me, fasting just helps improve my, uh, my weightlifting. And I found that I can add more weight to uh, my lifting regime when I'm fasting um, rather than when I'm just eating normally. And I did OMAD for about 17 days, I think last, uh, last year. Uh, no, th- this year, but it it was in around January. So it was the beginning of this year, and I did it for about seventeen days straight. So eating one meal okay. a day every every day for seventeen days, and I lo- I lost an average of point nine four pounds. So it was about like sixteen and a half pounds in seventeen days.
2: Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, but did you have any rebounds? Often, when we lose that much weight that quickly, it's hard I- for our body to stabilize
0: i did not i actually did not gain the weight back so that that was uh good for me i didn't um yeah i I just found that eating six meals a day for me it just it tends to make me blow a lot yeah um but uh, have you had an experience with this I'm curious
2: to know. Uh, yeah, for me, because I think a lot of the things that people get anxious about is also the expectation that fasting means no food. And then there's also the example of only having 500 calories for the day, and that also counts as a fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's so many ways to do it. And I think a lot of people just assume that if you're having no calories, then you're slowing your metabolism.
1: But right, the yeah. idea,
2: of course, with like appropriate fasting is that your body is basically getting used to drawing on its own kind of glucose supply, right? Because you guys did mention insulin. And Mm -hmm. yeah, insulin is critical for our body to absorb the energy we need. And if our insulin um, resistance becomes a thing, that's how we, of course, get things like type 2 diabetes, and our body just is unable to use the excess energy. It's also one of the reasons why keto became popularized is that people had the idea that by eating lots of fat and protein, we would be starving the body of its first choice in Energy storage, which of course is glucose, and instead forcing it to burn its own fat and proteins. But I think that's a different topic ongoing on that keto rant. But when it comes to fasting, it's a similar thing is that your body is forced to use the glucose storage that it has as opposed to expecting you to keep following up with those kind of standardized or expected meals. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of forcing your metabolism to use it more efficiently, which is great because the whole point of metabolism is getting your body to use it in different ways, especially when we are plateauing with a specific weight, we want to kind of shake up our body's expectation of what kind of food patterns it's receiving in order to keep it burning longer and hopefully stronger, I guess is the better term, but just like being more calorie efficient during the burn as well.
4: Right.
2: Yeah, that's mostly it. I've done it a few times. Um, I am a hungry person. I was going to use a different word but when it comes to things i'm almost always hungry and so especially for morning so the idea of doing like omad for example i have a friend who is very successful with it but mm-hmm. if i don't eat before i teach i'm going to get snippy with my kids so forcing <laughs> me to wait to eat that long is not always the best for my temperament but everyone always tells me that it gets better it's easier and i'm just like Oof. um i haven't really had the eternal strength to, to make that risk yet. But um, I do agree that your body does feel different when it's in a fasting period. And you really do become, I think, less food focused than you are when you're calorie restricting. And there's so many problems with calorie restriction, which of course is the more conventional way of losing, losing weight, the whole calorie in calorie out thing. And then, oh, just cut the calories. But your brain, of course, sends more hunger signals. And with fasting, it's different. It's not sending the same type of hunger signals it does when you're restricting. And so I think in many ways it can be effective for people who have not had success with the calorie restriction option. Right.
0: And one thing that I want to talk about within that realm of calorie restriction and fasting is that one, there is that sort of um, clash of whether you should calorically restrict or whether you should fast or whether you should do both. And one thing that I've seen and I've read studies on, and it's sort of been all over the place for me when I've tried to research is research this, is fasting, because I mentioned that insulin, a factor at the beginning, some people say that fasting as a whole doesn't depend on caloric restriction, so you could still eat the same amount of calories. But if you shorten the eating window, it'll lead to greater weight loss or greater fat loss because mm. it all depends on, uh, the bio, your biochemistry and how fasting, uh, feeds on your body's, uh, energy, uh, stores. Whereas other people say that when you're fasting, you still need to take into account the amount of calories you're eating because if you're overeating the amount of calories, you won't lose weight. And I saw a study where, uh, they did a controlled trial of where they took middle-aged adults at a normal healthy weight and they reduced their meal frequency, but they didn't reduce the caloric restriction. I mean, they didn't calorically restrict. And what they found was um, after about, um, I want to say six weeks, after six weeks, their, um, the weight stayed the same. But the amount of fat in their bodies went down by about uh, two pounds or so.
2: Hmm. So they were building muscle?
0: Uh, it didn't show anything on muscle mass, but it did say that the while the weight stayed relatively the same, the amount of fat went down. And, and the amount of uh, bad cholesterol, their, your HDL mm-hmm. went down.
2: Um, LDL is the bad cholesterol. HDL LDL is the good hard. cholesterol. Yeah. Right.
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> Sorry, science lesson. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. And like, I do agree that when you're fasting, I think that calories are less important, but I would agree with the side note that like, if you're overeating, so for example, let's say typically I consume 1800 calories, right? And if I were fasting, I started consuming 2200 calories although the fasting would be beneficial, there's a chance that maybe I wouldn't lose weight as quick, or it's possible that I could be counteracting some of the effects of that. But if I were to maintain kind of like my normal way of eating on top of fasting, I think that would also be more than fine. I think you'll see really good results with that. I don't see the need to also overly calorie restrict on top of fasting as well.
5: Right. I want to make a clarification is calorie restricting like, is, that, is it similar to calorie counting?
2: Yes, uh, it is. So we kind of have this goal mind, right, of like how many calories do we eat a day and then keeping track of the calories you input um, as a way of kind of seeing if you're on target and to then be cutting the ones that you don't need or being more like the mindful eating practice of noticing your patterns and what foods you're eating and are you getting most of your nutrients? Um, is it raw food, um, which is more calorie dense, or are we doing other things with the food? So there's a lot that goes into the idea of calorie counting because, um, of course, many vegetarians um, and even vegans will tell you that you can eat a ton of food for not that many calories depending on what you're choosing to eat. And so if you're worried about volume and feeling full, you can eat, of course, a lot of stuff that's low in calorie but will make you feel full. And so there's also that kind of dangerous game we play on the calorie restriction. But I'm I'm eating only like 600 calories a day, but I feel full. And you're kind of like, well... If you're keeping that up for several months, you could be damaging your metabolism as well.
5: Right. Yeah, like uh, celery, I know, is a <laughs> negative calorie food. It takes more Zero energy. calorie,
2: yeah. It's just because you're chewing and all that good stuff. Just yeah,
0: two heads of lettuce per day. Why?
2: I mean, that's a mood.
0: That's, that, that's definitely what you would... I'm not sure how'd you, how you'd feel, though, eating two heads of lettuce. I don't
2: that's know it. if I'd be down.
0: I'd rather die.
2: I, w- there, I wouldn't go that far any,
5: Is there any dressing? No
2: Ooh.
5: No, no That would That's like more calories I'd, I'd, I'd rather eat the Yes, it's, it's more It's more calories But again, it's like It's like keto Where there's no it's, it's fat,
0: right? I'm not gonna lie Lettuce with dressing I'd rather just eat the raw lettuce
2: <laughs> That's a lot of dressing
5: <laughs> I mean, it depends on the dressing Not every dressing is ranch dressing True. That's true Italian vinaigrettes, Caesar, light
2: balsamic vinaigrettes. Oh,
3: okay. I'm I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I've been fasting the whole Ooh,
2: honey. day
3: because I am <laughs> I'm very hungry. I'm not gonna lie. I was looking up like the Canes menu, which is a chicken place uh, over here in Arizona, and oh my god, yeah. Just talking about this really gets my stomach rumbling. Uh, but I will say I have tried both calorie restriction and fasting and seeing like the habitual differences are crazy, like, or, or the motivational differences. Cause, uh, I, I tend to be a bigger eater. So when I'm like counting my calories and I see, oh, I can't eat anymore. I get, it pisses me off. I just cannot. So yeah, of course. Yeah. So like spacing it out, like for, for me at least was a lot easier And, like, I guess, like, when it comes to having a lot of other things to preoccupy you, starting intermittent fasting is really easy because you just do it on accident and just skip breakfast.
0: And, I mean, if you're a college student and you're on a budget, eating on a fasted diet is just easy on the wallet as well. It is efficient.
2: But I agree The psychological, um, the effects of knowing that you're restricting is so different than fasting, because restricting is just that the name itself is really negatively connotated of just like, you can't, right? As opposed to fasting, or I'm like, I could, I just have to wait. And so I think that that mentality is really huge for people, like keeping people on track and motivated to want to keep with something as opposed to restriction, which has such a huge fail rate.
0: So one thing I wanted to ask you about that specifically about the negative connotation about it is uh, I mean um, I know you're a psych teacher but one thing that I've read historically is that when the Europeans came to the United States and they uh, observed Native American eating patterns they found that what the Native Americans would do is they would fast throughout the day and they would uh, gather all the food and then the whole uh, community would eat together in one feast at night. And the Europeans, they found that, um, a barbaric or a uncivilized way to eat. So that's why they, uh, established the three meals a day of breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So, but I'm not sure if that's correct or not. I, it's just something that I've read.
2: So I am no historian, but, um, Colonialism is ass, so I would not be surprised in any way that we went and disrupted a perfectly good eating pattern and decided to change it because it seemed in some way, I'm assuming ungodly, because that's often how colonialism changed things. Yeah. But... Um, As far as like the fasting thing, I have heard that it's really common to have a basic carbohydrate in the morning or to have a basic protein. And of course, there are so many tribes across the United States, so many places where they lived that that I'm sure the diets would be very different as -hmm. with, of course, like the seasonal issues. But I know that some of... Because the Ohlone tribe, of course, is in California, and I know that it was very common to have either like a fresh piece of fish in the morning as a way of just kind of starting the day. But I also have heard that, yeah, no food during lunch and the larger meals at night um, as a kind of bonding activity. But I did hear that oftentimes there was often a small meal um, at the beginning as sort of like a fuel source and then the waiting period until the larger meal at the end.
5: Right. I can see... The idea of breakfast, lunch, and dinner definitely being commercialized. I mean, look at all the, comp- all the restaurants that sell different items on the menu based on the time and, you know, change up prices and stuff, make things yeah. seem a lot more Uh, like ex- you can only get this at this time of day or whatnot. I mean, just,
0: just look at what we've done with breakfast cereal. Yeah, like, um, like,
5: yeah, breakfast is... T- it's breaking the fast. Okay, so
2: I, I love breakfast. I'm just going to come out. Like, I will have breakfast for dinner. I'll have breakfast for lunch. I just love breakfast foods. So don't come for breakfast too hard. But I understand yeah, yeah, that right. there's definitely the yeah, like, the morning right. issues.
4: Right. Like, breakfast oh, we don't, don't serve that awesome. now.
2: It's noon. So you can no longer have pancakes. And I'm like, I will have pancakes when I'm damn well pleased. So but, Yeah.
0: Cool. Yeah, breakfast cool. foods are awesome. Cool. It's just... Who decided is, that? Like, who just woke up and said pancakes are breakfast food? That doesn't make sense to me.
2: I think the Dutch. Hmm.
0: That's kind of
2: <laughs> the Dutch do. Possibly.
5: Yeah, well, I mean cereal cereal for dinner. It's honestly just a soup, isn't it? And soup is dinner.
2: Don't do that. Don't 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 hurt me. <laughs> okay. Don't hurt me. We're not, don't we're hurt not me doing- with cereal soup. <laughs>
3: We're not doing the hot dog sandwich. Not not right
2: now. Uh, I remember that conversation, yes. That was...
5: Oh, God. Yeah. That was a painful... No, thing. but, yeah, the point I was uh, trying to get at is, like, the whole point of uh, breakfast is, I guess, to, you know, have... The reason why we have breakfast, or why it's advertised, is so that we have energy for the rest of the day, right? Mm-hmm. But, I don't know, whenever I eat breakfast in the morning or eat anything in the morning for that matter. I get queasy.
2: Mm, happens like, a lot for a lot of people.
5: Yeah. Like I, when I wake, when I wake up or if I've been up and I, it's morning time, I don't know. There's something about the sun's rays that just make me not want to eat. At best I'll have, I'll drink some hot water.
2: <laughs> oh, it. See, I can't do water in the morning. Water makes me nauseous. Really? Yeah. I can eat food, but I can't drink water.
0: Wait, you're telling me you're not one of those apple cider vinegar and hot water people?
2: While I am a giant hippie at heart sometimes, um, apple cider vinegar tastes like death, and there is nothing to make it taste better. I don't care, like, add lemon, add honey. No, it's still terrible. (laughs) And I, No, so much worse. Um, But I'm not disputing the fact that ACV is good for us. There's been a lot of studies that talk about gut bacteria and all the good things that it does for us. It's just as far as, like, my personal... Enjoyment is low of that. So.
0: Uh, Alex, Not you, my morning start. Uh, uh, sorry, I thought you finished
2: speaking. Oh, I did.
0: <laughs> okay. uh, Alex, okay. you wanted to add something about with the six meals a day?
1: Yeah. So I thought it would be good to have a discussion on like why exactly it's wrong. <clears throat> and I did a little bit of the research on the biochemistry for why fasting makes sense and highly generalized for this, but I, you know, if, if something's wrong or should be more in depth, go ahead and say something. So, you know, there's a bunch of hormones and brain cortices that kind of go into it like we talked about insulin before, but um, I don't think we ever talked about what insulin actually does. So, from what I understand, the purpose is to induce energy storage, right? So you'll, you'll eat something, and then your blood glucose goes up, and then this signals your pancreas to release some relative amount of insulin. And then with this signal your liver turns excess into glycogen and it gets sent to the muscles and stuff like that. And then the extra glucose and fatty acids get sent to long-term storage. So a generalization you could make from that is like, if you have high insulin, then you're going to store a lot of fat. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: And then when it goes down, it's like the process goes in reverse. And then there's more on why it makes sense, just looking at some of the, the connections that that makes. So there's the hypothalamus, right? Where mm-hmm. it's kind of the control room for your, all of your energy balance processes. Right. And it takes another hormone leptin and like interprets the signal to say whether or not you're hungry like whether you should burn energy and use up some of your excess or store energy and one thing i found was if you have excess insulin like it doesn't it's you spike too hard from eating too much carbs or something like that Mm -hmm. then the insulin kind of blocks this leptin signal So your body can't read whether or not you should be, like, going for weight gain or loss, and it just interprets it as like starvation. So you you keep this feedback loop of never running out of insulin, and you just keep eating and eating, and you keep storing up fat without, even though you have a ton of excess that you could use as storage. So anything, anything like blaringly obviously wrong with that because no, there's like all, all that
2: fixed. all that tracks real heavy because yeah the whole point of insulin is it's meant to get energy into cells if insulin doesn't exist our cells cannot take in the glucose and use it right. um, with our body becoming more resistant to insulin or having a buildup, it makes it harder for us to use energy but if you look at uh, type 1 diabetics or even just when you're diagnosed with type 2 one of the fastest symptoms is unexplained weight loss. And part of that is because um, the energy isn't being used by the body, and so we can't actually put into weight. So the only thing I was a little a little unsure about was the insulin leading to higher levels of fat that's in the body because it depends on if the person's even producing the insulin, I suppose, um, or how much they get resistant to getting absorbed and what their dietary patterns are. But no, the leptin leading to that constant hunger, regardless if you've like had blood sugar in your body or not is a really big problem because you can just eat and still be hungry and want to keep eating.
0: And another thing, another symptom that I've heard that diabetics have a lot of the time is just feeling tired a lot for no reason.
2: Yeah. Just no energy because it's not right. getting stored.
0: Yeah. So since we're talking about this idea of eating and nutrition, I know one thing that, in recent times has become pretty popular is meal substitutions. Um, yeah. And I know Alex has a lot to add on that because he's had experience with meal substitutions, more specifically Soylent. So uh, Alex, if you want to talk a little bit about uh, what your experience has been with Soylent.
1: Okay. Um, before that I was so I wanted to to clarify something like so when people have type 2 and they lose their weight like so it just doesn't get taken in as fat at all.
2: Mm, So part of it is that when we have a lot of extra if it depends if they're type 2 diabetic is usually because they're getting resistant to it. And so their body still can't take it in, which is why, in general, creepy fact about diabetic urine smelling really sweet is because the excess glucose gets dumped Mm. into our urinary system. And so the sugar isn't being used as much for the fat. Um, What we start noticing is when people start taking synthetic insulin is weight gain, which is why a lot of people um, abuse insulin and they don't want to take it the way they should because they don't like the weight gain that happens when they start taking insulin to help it get into their bodies. So,
1: Okay, because I've heard like, yeah, so when they start, they have the, the condition, it's not working correctly, right? But when they start <laughs> injecting the synthetic, I've heard that like in the area where they inject it, there's like a lot more fat than other areas.
2: Oh, I don't know about that. So like if they habitually inject in the thigh, their thigh gets really fat?
1: Yeah, I think so.
2: Interesting.
3: Um we're still t- oh sorry. Uh <laughs> did oh shoot. Ethan? Oh sorry,
1: yeah. Uh I cut off for <laughs> a second.
3: Um, uh, while we're still on the topic of diabetes, uh, I had a quick question for uh Xunyi. So <laughs> I'm pre-diabetic and I've been for a while. I do this thing where if I eat a large meal, sometimes I just crash straight up. Like, yeah. Is that something to do with insulin resistance not producing enough? Mm,
2: it's sort of related to that as well as like just the blood pressure that happens after we eat because all the blood goes to our stomach. And so they're kind of like the joke of called the itis, right, of when you just need to take a nap after a big meal or having a food coma Hmm. is very common. But especially if you said, were you eating earlier that day? Or is it just kind of like that was your main meal and then you crash?
3: I think that's the main meal probably.
2: Yeah, so because your body is then just being flooded with a ton of glucose. And so it's often harder for your body to kind of parse that out. And so it just kind of puts you on standby mode until it can figure out how the rest of your body is gonna start feeling after that?
0: Uh, okay, interesting. You know, I had a question on that about the whole um, drawing blood to your stomach, and it's it's kind of interesting because uh, my parents they say that you shouldn't take a shower right after you eat, and I asked them about that, and they their response they didn't really have a scientific response. They just said that's what <laughs> the wise ones say. So oh, okay. And uh I did I did a little bit of research into it and I and I found that it was actually rooted in science because when you shower especially when you shower with warm water the blood uh, it starts to circulate blood on your skin and it's kind of bad because you want that blood to in your stomach to help digest.
2: Yeah, so you're pulling it away which can kind of halt digestion, right? Same way yeah. that people always say like don't exercise or swim after you eat, you'll get a cramp. Yeah. Same yeah. exact thing. Blood's going to your muscles. It comes harder. I never heard the shower thing, though. But yeah, it's the same exact same principle. Yeah. So moral of the story. Don't don't have a giant eating session. Take a shower.
0: Yeah. Get a um, cramp. Yeah. I, I guess if we're uh, off that, uh, I guess we were going to go to Soylent.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Soylent.
1: Okay. Shwunga, are you familiar with what Soylent is?
2: Yes, I am. Meal replacements, usually in the form of the liquid stuff, right?
1: All right. Yeah. yeah. Alex, can you
0: define it just for our viewers? Yes.
1: So Soylent is a brand of things that are referred to as like meal replacement foods. And so these are things that try to mimic like a fully nutritional meal with low cost and ease of consumption is, like, one of the main benefits. So, I'll just start off with what I think of it, I guess. So, I think Solimit sucks. (laughs) I think other things... Oh, good. I was
2: afraid you were going to like it too much. And I was like, oh, okay.
1: (laughs) Either way, feel free to, like, shoot me down (laughs) because I am open to it. So, I think... I haven't tried Huel. It's another brand. I think it's probably better. But mm. one thing I really don't like about Soylent is that it has a ton of sugar in it. Yes. But stuff like Huel and... I used to use something called... I got it from this website called like Superfoods or something like that. And it has this... It's this stuff you mix with milk and it has... like rice brown rice protein and stuff like that in it
2: okay
1: so i think it's kind of if i thought that stuff was definitely better than soylent i'd say that
2: anything with brown rice is good because at least it's going to give you some kind of sustainable energy coming out of it as opposed to just like the plain glucose which is just the sugar shot or like the white rice just literally just like rice is delicious. Do not get me wrong at all. I love rice, but like it is literally just a ball of sugar for your yeah. body. So okay. yeah, Soylent's garbage. Soylent is such trash. It is terrible because of course, like naturally, like we're meant to eat whole foods, right? We're omnivores. We're humans. We're meant to eat food and not just worry about meal replacements. I know that, of course, it is the goal of the future to just survive on like little tiny food cubes and stuff like that. But as a foodie, that, of course, sounds horrific to me. Um, And you're absolutely right that there are some meal replacements that are much better than others. And I would agree that Soylent is closer to the bottom of that list.
1: Okay, good. All right. So (laughs) I think it might be before I try to defend it a little bit, I wanted to say why I think it's like what some pretty good arguments are for why it's bad to use a meal replacement. So there's, first part is that it's liquid, right? So it's going to make you feel less satiated than solid food. And then there's also the potential for nutritional holes. Like Mm. the government doesn't really care about stuff like antioxidants or enzymes or phytochemicals, which are proven to be pretty useful in certain things. Yeah, and they're they're never they're just never written on food labels, but they're so in the food, like the whole food. So I mean, some people don't get those things anyways, right? Like we True. we know people that bad diets don't eat vegetables very much and stuff like that. So I think one good reason why you would use the meal replacement is like a as like a supplement for the rest of your eating because it's pretty hard to get potassium without eating like six cups of vegetables or get get the recommended like five grams or whatever it is
2: it's a good amount unless you're that do you know about that youtube girl who eats like 48 bananas a day jesus it's crazy like it's like usually through a blended smoothie but you can find her she's really obsessed with bananas and that's pretty much all she eats and it's kind of bonkers, so if you want to check it out. No fat or
1: protein, but <laughs> sure, you get. The I think yeah, so like forty-eight bananas here.
2: a day. She'll pop right up. She's had lots of different food explorations, but uh, yeah, unless you're doing that, it's a lot harder. Well, that sounds <laughs> to do. a lot
1: worse than a meal replacement.
2: <laughs> yeah, I would. I that just sounds like way too much. Just so much, and she's thin, and so like you see her just eating all this stuff with her little food baby. It's mildly horrifying.
3: That's a lot of sugar though. Oh my god.
2: So much sugar. Yeah. Even and like, not a lot of fiber.
3: Exactly. That's why I was so confused. How are you alive? Oh my god.
1: So getting into um I think I had one more thing for why it's good. So <laughs> I, I mentioned that it fills in some of the holes. It's also, I have a problem with not eating enough food sometimes. Mm. So it's really easy to just down like 800 calories with one of these things. It's true. In like 30 seconds. (laughs) That's impressive. So, you know, and when I'm trying to like, if your goal is to bulk up and you have that problem of not eating enough, then I think that might be a good solution for that. Yeah, I think I Zach.
2: That makes a lot of sense.
0: I think Zach Efron in one of his interviews said that when he was bulking up for a role, he used to just drink chicken shakes. Just what's a just, chicken shake? Just it's blend just exactly up, what it sounds. Like just like blend up, chicken. Yeah, just blend up rotisserie with chicken.
2: protein powder often.
1: Yeah, like like the cooked chi- cooked
2: chicken, not raw chicken. Like, Wait, the, like the chicken's bones, cooked. But... I don't think the bone.
1: Wow. No, he said not the bone.
0: He said he was eating a bunch of chicken breast and it was just so tiring just chewing all That's that.
2: Exhausting. Mm-hmm.
0: And he so he just blended it up and just drank it.
2: That is disgusting. That's now in my brain. <laughs> so <sighs>
1: for just one final thing I have to say about meal replacements is I'll I'll never say that like it's a bad idea to eat whole foods purely as long as it's just, it's it's not possible all the time. It's pretty expensive and meal replacements usually cost like almost nothing relatively. And, you know, it would be better to eat a ton of vegetables and like eat lean meat, like chicken and fish and stuff like that. But that isn't always possible. So I think what in the cases where it's not possible, then a meal replacement is like a decent option.
2: Mm-hmm. i'd agree with that
1: so i know the other three are like super opposed to soylent for some reason because of like how it sounds
5: for so, me it was the movie soylent green that ruined it for me
2: ooh. What's, like is this documentary
5: no it's a dystopian um oh <laughs> uh <laughs> it's... movie fiction movie about like um how the humanity is running out of food when suddenly the government comes out with Soylent and Green, and then at the end of the movie they reveal, "We're eating people," which oh my, it's that not be
2: mildly horrifying.
5: It's not Soylent, but it was it just ruined the <laughs> word
1: for me. So
2: now you just think about cannibalism.
1: Yeah, well,
2: not fair, the movie.
1: fair. Nobody likes Soylent, anyways. Alex no. so I have had like several
0: discussions on this, and. Every time we do, he get he always gets triggered because I always say stimulant <laughs> versus real food, and he's like, "What do you mean by real food?" <laughs> okay, <laughs> Alex, come on, you know you know. Soil <laughs> say food. whole
3: food,
1: come on, <laughs> come on, man. Feel- it's
4: just, it's on. not real food.
1: You're just kind of discarding this thing that I think is kind of decent.
4: I do
3: mean, are, jokes apart, would you like? Would you eat a real meal or would you, like, pop 50, like, different pills that give you each nutrient? Like, come on.
1: Hell no. Exactly. I'm not Because, well, you know, that. some
2: people, some people live to eat and some people eat to live, you know? Like, some people don't enjoy food. And so I understand that. Yeah. I mean, that's... I don't, but I respect that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Very. <laughs> See, the worst part about Portland is that it, it does the whole, like, lying in the in the label marketing technique where it's... Mm-hmm. I feel like it's like, oh yeah, we're we're pretty healthy. We do the low sugar thing. But then you look at the back of your um protein bar and it's like, oh wow, alcohol sugar's in there too. Oh, why is it four times the amount of what it told me? Oh, I'm getting scammed. I'm getting scammed.
1: It doesn't do that. Um Soylent just has sugar in it. Other things just don't do that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean it's 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 quite it's similar to a protein bar or a protein shake except it just has other nutrients in it.
1: Yeah,
3: disgusting. I I I, I
0: Sorry, just I'm I mean I have now. no problem with Soylent. I just can't, like, I mean I have no problem with Soylent. I just can't imagine drinking that. Only for your all meals. I mean, I can, I can, I can understand. I can understand if like you use that as like a supplement. And I've said that before to Alex. But just not eating food like whole food at all and just only drinking liquids. I can't fathom that.
2: Yeah, it'd be terrible.
3: Uh, can we move on? Uh, I'm getting yes. disgusted by the idea of like getting hungry yes, for talking about soy one.
2: Yeah, let's do that.
1: Supper.
5: <laughs> I, I, wanted to, I wanted to ask. Do any of you guys like use antacids? I don't. Sometimes. No. Do you have
2: heartburn? I don't.
5: I I use antacids a lot, like after most meals, before I sleep, when I wake up, because it just makes me it just makes my stomach feel at ease and my chest isn't hurting as much. So, what so exactly? you have
2: chronic heartburn?
5: I don't know, but. I just know antacids, like, make it better. Like, after after I eat – I don't know. Like, there's just some foods that I don't need to eat antacids with. But things that are really heavy on bread and um, uh, fats and meat, I need antacids. Hmm. And um, it's either that or, like, drinking soda. Because I think the main thing is just, you know, settling whatever gas there is in the stomach. But I don't really don't have a scientific basis for why um, I need antacids so much. That's why I just wanted to bring it up.
2: I mean, you could always check out GERDs, G-U-R-D-S, which is really common if you are feeling like you are chronically having heartburn and an upset stomach with acid. And like you know your trigger foods and stuff that causes it. I don't know enough about continuous habitual antacid usage, but I don't think it's going to be an issue since it's a pretty basic component shouldn't be doing much damage but if you need to take it every day several times a day i would say that is a bit abnormal
0: i mean are you are you eating any like foods that you know give you heartburns every day
5: i mean like i said it's pretty general like bread and meat the only thing like fruits and vegetables i'm fine but um sometimes like even even from like not eating i'll get heartburn Hmm, interesting, so weird. maybe
2: you just have a really acidic stomach naturally
0: hmm okay I, I, about that I actually have a question because I've read that uh, lemon juice in even though lemon juice is acidic just like a tiny amount with water neutralizes stomach acid once because it once again get, gets metabolized it has an alkalizing effect
5: isn't it because it's like it has less ph than stomach acid
2: Mm-hmm. it's still yeah. bringing it it's still food that's more basic than your acid
0: yeah so like i think like one drop of lemon juice with like a glass of water it, it can help with heartburn so i, th- I mean okay. i think it'd be better than antacids
2: it helps with just stomach problems in general there's a really common thing of eating citrus after your meal so mm-hmm. eating a piece of lemon or a piece of lime post meal is actually a really common palate cleanser as well as a kind of like a ah, there's a word for it in french and i've already forgotten but it's just a settler basically and it can help more difficult stomachs feel more settled by having a little bit of citrus and like just a piece not like a lemon you're just having a little bit and it's like you said the drop or lemon juice in the water it does it can help relax your stomach and make it less tense okay I've, yeah,
5: yeah, yeah, I, yeah i was just, i was just gonna say i find soda has a similar effect because of the carbonic acid
2: Mm hmm. So. Still an acid, weak acid, but still an acid.
1: Yeah. All right, what was that, Alex? I was not saying that this is the case, but I thought it might be interesting to consider that it might be. It could be. I've heard that it could be a problem with, like, the stomach valve not Mm -hmm. closing correctly. With, like, if you're feeling heartburn, like, all the time.
2: Because then it just leaks acid.
1: Frequently. Yeah, it might just like the the gas kind of keeps seeping up there with minimal stimulus. But I, I don't actually know that much about the condition at all. Just I thought it'd be worth bringing up.
0: Oh, um, G, so I'm looking, I'm looking at an article right now about, um, GERDs, uh, GERD patients, and it, it says that, um, one of the, uh, important factors for avoiding GERD symptoms is that you have a good quality of sleep and they, and apparently it found that regular antacid usage combined with inadequate sleep uh, could lead to uh, higher GERD symptoms. Mm.
2: Mm. G's never been one for sleeping as much.
5: (laughs) Well, we'll get into that later. Yeah. Speaking
2: uh, of later.
0: Okay.
2: I feel like we I I talked quite five, a bit right? about nutrition. We did talk a lot about nutrition. Yeah, we're
0: almost an hour and fifty five minutes. So should we get a bit more I'm only
2: gonna do can I just do one thing that's a lie so I can get it off my chest and end my rant? Go
1: ahead. Sure.
2: So the thermodynamic thing, right? The kind of like calories in, calories out issue. Yeah. And mm-hmm. people's kind of like obsession with it. Uh, of course, the issue is that like the law of thermodynamics, of course, refers to physics, not physiology. And so, when people who try to hold our bodies to physics laws forget that we are not always completely math. And so, when we're talking about calories in, calories out, it's not so much of a thing. And so, that kind of just like tied back to the fasting. It's just it's a common myth that I hear a lot of dieters cite. Of just like well, if you if you calorie track and it's calories in, calories out, then you're fine. And that's there's so much more to it, and it also gives a lot of people some uh, concerns with just like well, is gas is like fasting a good thing or a bad thing? And there's a lot of people who are anti fasting with the wrong information. So just remembering to be critical when thinking about thermodynamics and relating it to your body. Because okay, that was about it. I'm done. Yeah,
1: it's almost discrediting. Like it's considering the human body is like less complex than it actually is, right? Yeah this hormone stuff is the actual driver exactly. Like thermodynamics is part of it because sure. obviously you can't make energy out of nothing and stuff like that but you know this this other process is I think it's way more important than it shows why things like caloric restriction is bad.
2: Yeah, I completely agree.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely it's true that hormones have a huge role. And it explains, and it's also like why people with uh, Hashimoto's or hyper, hyper, not hypothyroidism. Yeah, Mm -hmm. hypothyroidism. Hi,
2: that's me, Hashimoto's.
0: (laughs) Yeah, why they have, um, a lot of the times you see people with Hashimoto's have a lot of unexplained weight gain, even if they eat normally.
2: Eat normally or work out and exercise well. And also have really high cholesterol, even if the diet is healthy. Yeah. Yep. And then it doesn't show up on blood tests the same either, so it's often very frequently underdiagnosed. Yeah. So what about the other part of dieting exercise?
0: Yes, we shouldn't get into that. Um, in terms of exercise, we were uh, we have a few different topics. We're going to talk about training methods and how effective each training method is and alex we're going to have our a local calisthenics expert talk about his experience with calisthenics and G will talk about martial arts but first let's get into training methods and we could talk let's talk about uh weight training first because uh, i know a lot of people within uh the gym bros as they're called <laughs> they have a sort of the community is sort of split in between this idea of whether you should lift with high weights and low reps or low weights and high reps. And there's been this common um, misconception, I would say that working out with higher weights, but lower reps tends to create more hypertrophy than as opposed mm-hmm. to working out with lower weights. But that show otherwise and they found that within controlled trials um people who've worked out among the same volume level using lower weights and high weights had the same amount of around the same amount of hypertrophy um so i guess it all depends on volume so uh, working out more or working out a bit more um aggressively does tend to build hypertrophy so it all essentially just comes down to uh fatiguing the muscles so uh you know as long as you do workouts that tire out your muscles and create those tears in the muscle fibers it's going to create hypertrophy
1: it might be good to um if you could do it real quick could you define volume
0: um so volume for me it it's always been like uh, it. a lot of people tend to define volume as sort of like the amount you work out but in terms of we're going in terms of workout volume in lifting weights goes volume is the amount of uh, stimulating reps that you do per muscle group so it tends to be defined as the amount of uh reps and sets you do to failure uh that's essentially what volume means so a high volume workout would be you do you do more sets or more reps per workout per muscle group
1: okay because um the way that i learned about volume was that it's like the weight multiplied by the number of reps
4: Hmm.
1: so maybe it might be better because the thing you're referring to might be better referred to as like intensity.
0: Right. I mean, I mean, it's, if you think about it, it's pretty much the same thing because so, if you take the number of, uh, the amount of weight with the amount of reps, it does tend to add up to the amount of reps you do to failure. So it does depend on your weight. I guess that's sort of implied, but uh, if not, then yeah, I, I suppose your definition would work better.
1: Okay, so overall, the intensity is more important than whether or not you do a high or low weight.
0: Yeah. So it, it depends on failure, um, what, how much you do to failure. And if you if you do do to failure, then that does tend to bring about hypertrophy no matter how you achieve failure, whether you do that through high weights or whether you do that through low High reps. Um, you've done a fair bit of late weightlifting. What do you have to say about that? Because I mean, I've done both, and I've also found, for me, I found that just higher weights works also, and lower weights works also. It's just that low doing low weights just gets really boring. Uh, you know. Yeah. To, cranking out 20 reps worth of low weights
1: Um, because time is a real time is a real factor like yeah absolutely if you do with high weight you can be done in like 45 45 minutes minutes. versus like an hour and a half or something
2: yeah yeah some people just don't have that kind of time
1: and i
0: mean some people have said that low weights um um yeah low weights does it helps with endurance more, but I haven't found that to be the case and doesn't really affect my running that much. But I'm
5: personally, I'm more of a low weight, high rep kind of person partially because I don't have any dumbbells that weigh more than 20 pounds, but, um,
2: uh, I don't for know. Me, That's I'm... a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
5: right. Yeah. i don't a know. solid had...
2: 10 weight over here. Oh, uh. That's a,
5: that's I don't a, know. I've had like some success. Like for the time I was doing it, again, it was like it's like intermittent fasting. It's on and off. But there was like a solid two months where I was uh weightlifting during COVID and I could feel the difference in you know my muscles. Like they felt like they weren't they didn't grow in size at all. Be, but they felt more firm and it felt a lot more powerful to move them around Mm -hmm. which i think that goes to show like going um low rep uh, i mean low weight high rep like it can be good for again it can be repetitive but it can be good for um you know developing it more because it's more about endurance than just sheer force of will Yeah, as uh, which you get, and um, one of the systems that I actually did with uh, with my weightlifting was I think it was called a reverse pyramid, where yeah I actually start with the heaviest weights and then bring it down until I reach a certain point, and as I bring down the weight, I increase the number of reps.
0: Yeah, so it's 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 incre- it's decreasing the weight by ten percent each set and increasing the reps ten percent each each set mm. and- yeah
5: it's definitely helped like it doesn't look impressive at all, but I definitely feel the difference with not not just how sore I am but once like the soreness goes away, it feels different and it feels better.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, um, it's certainly uh, effective. I mean, David Goggins, I, I've told you guys about him and how he did like this uh, crazy weightlifting routine where he would do pick one weight and he'd do like anywhere from 100 to 500 reps. And he'd do five sets. Wow pretty crazy so like his, his total rep range was around like 3600 at the end of every workout and he would work out for like three hours too and it was crazy
1: so i have something to say about um high reps mm-hmm. so the thing that you were that i guess the phenomenon you're talking about g was like it doesn't feel like it's bigger but there's like more strength yeah like i think that's like exactly what's happening when you do a lot of reps, you're getting these neurons to fire in this certain way and like you're practicing it over and over so you can recruit more mm-hmm. more effectively yeah that's the muscle memory so even though they're not bigger, it's still like a strength gain because your neurons are like, or your, your connection there is becoming more reinforced and definitely, a lot for the David Goggins thing, like three thousand six hundred reps or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's gonna give you a lot of practice.
0: Yeah. I mean, he he runs like twenty miles every day too. So.
2: Have uh, you guys also just discussed the importance of like muscle with fasting and with dieting, and how important muscle is to weight loss? Yeah,
0: exa- I. I've read about that and how, like, um, fasting increases human growth hormone by, I don't know,
2: 400
0: or something like that and Mm -hmm. acts as, like, a natural steroid of sorts.
2: It does. It increases your testosterone levels. So One of the – Kind of cool. But a lot of – I think speaking from a girl's perspective – a lot of the times girls are just told, like, only cardio, like, don't do weights. Girls don't want to get bulky. Now, of course, the obsession with having, like, a huge ass is definitely part of it. And so there's a lot of girls that do, like, a ton of leg work, um, but not a lot of upper body, which is where a lot of women tend to be weakest. But we've noticed that when you're trying to do weight loss, like, having the weight-bearing exercise is really important for uh, – actually building better muscle tone and also just, um, having a higher metabolism and actually helping with hunger cravings too. Cause for us with our lower testosterone, um, testosterone also can act potentially as not like an appetite suppressant, but it does help put a curb on some of the more annoying hormones when you're hungry.
3: Yeah, it's honestly surprising how many girls I've talked to, and none of them can do a push-up. Like, they know how to, but, like... It's
2: insane, yeah, because we don't value our upper body, because here's the thing. what, Like, no offense, what do guys like? Boobs and butt, right? And so, like, mm-hmm. you can't necessarily work out your chest area to really give you a huge front. That's not really how it works, sadly, but most guys care about ass. So, girls are great at squats, great at leg presses, have killer calves, good quads. But um, as far as, like, can you lift a suitcase above your head? that's often really complicated and not that great for just overall cardiovascular health.
3: Yeah, I'm just waiting for someone to popularize like girls doing real pushups. Like I'm waiting for that generation.
2: Yeah, part of it is just like, um, just based on our muscle structure, there are some differences. I hate really kind of talking about like, oh, the male and female body, but like there are definitely some differences about what's going on with our body types. But yeah, I think that just even, even if it's just, I hate the term girl push-up, but even just doing modified pushups, like leaning against furniture, as opposed to keeping your knees on the ground, but forcing yourself to have the proper form that is so critical to getting the skills to actually do full push-ups. And when we just use the knees, we're not still aligning the body properly for those modified push-ups. So yeah. learning better um, form, so important.
0: I did um, I did a, a CrossFit for a, a bit, around okay. two, two, three months or so. And um, one of the things they have you do when you're doing pull-ups is if you can't do a pull-up, they have those, um, those gymnastic rings that you hang and you have to hold on to those and lean back while standing on the floor and then just pull up like that. And it, uh, it really helps because it lets you work solely on the upper body while also getting some support from the floor. And they just sort of um, lean you up and up more. And then they go on to the actual pull-ups, but with resistance bands and then they, take off the resistance bands until you can do a pull-up. So,
2: I mean, you're right in the sense that it makes so much more sense that you still have to train the muscles you need, right? And if your muscles are so weak, you can't do the full form. If we modify too much, you're still not giving those muscles enough of a push to really get them going. Uh,
1: Did any of you guys look at stuff for like different training methods that are you know all of them are <clears throat> progressive overload is like the norm right but i was watching um joe rogan
2: like
1: <laughs> a month ago, and he had, trying some, to laugh. Sorry. he had some russian dude on and he was talking about like the training methods that these super athletes kind of have and one of them was the train with like a certain weight and then like after two weeks they'll like go down for two weeks and then like on the next the next two weeks they'll like go up past that first one so it's kind of like a dip in a spike over and over again so it kind of it's kind of similar to diet where it's not like it's not such a simple mechanism
2: I think also, like you said, when you're a super athlete, you plateau, right? So you need more aggressive ways of working out to actually see results. And similar with dieting, like our body doesn't like changing. Our body likes staying the same. And so you kind of have to just find new ways to surprise it.
5: I wanted to touch upon this one phenomenon that I really – I don't know. I kind of stick to it. It's the idea of, like, mind over matter, you know, pushing your body to go past a certain point just um, uh, because your mind is really set on doing so. The example I have is with martial arts. So when I was testing for my uh, my second degree black belt, I... The t The teacher didn't test us right off the bat; he wanted us to reach like peak physical form as much as we could do in a month so for a straight month before the test, we had different classes we had different training sessions where we would do much more high high intensity training like for example um <clears throat> we didn't normally do this, but we had to run like two and a half miles every time, uh, uphill. And there was some about being able to do a hundred burpees in the span of, uh, certain in the span of like five minutes. And then of course there was a whole thing about, you know, practicing your forms and your uh, techniques and things like that, but he really wanted us to get fit. So he had us do, conditioning as well as flexibility we had to be able to do the splits as well which i don't Bold think both sides can do anymore. hmm
2: both like, sides
5: no no not like not side splits uh oh like um like just for facing forward legs like spreading apart okay. but but yeah um it was really it, for that month it was really tough to say the least, like there were times where, you know, I didn't, I, I got super into it, but I just really did not feel like going through at some points, but my, because my body was telling me no, there was a time where I actually, when we were training and um, we were practicing our kicks, I kicked too high and I pulled my leg muscle and it hurt oh. so much for three days, but I still pushed through because... Well, what I wanted to bring up was in my mind, I had that goal that I want this black belt to show that I can achieve something more. Right. And so the whole thing about pushing your mind, pushing your body when you're in pain, you know, separating mind and matter, I think, what are your guys' thoughts on that? As far as weight, as far as, uh, exercise goes. Like how much should you be pushing your body and is it healthy to push when you're in pain? Like for example, if you just did leg day, for, for me, I did leg day and then I ran the next day and it felt terrible, but I felt great for doing so. So, and the instant gratification is definitely a factor in wanting to continue to push yourself. So again, I want to I ask your guys' opinions on mind over matter.
2: So I think you guys have more experience with like the actual weight training aspect of pushing your body. But I think of course from the biology aspect, like the reason and the importance of rest um, and why it's so critical for our recovery and also the myosin fibers that you're attempting to build, right? Cause the whole idea of tearing down your muscle, building up, you create that bulk. But at the same time, if you're not resting, um, the fibers can often get more fragile. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting better gains. And so, if you were like you injured your leg muscle and like you kept going, I'm really glad that it didn't result in some type of deeper injury. Because of course, whenever we work out while injured, um, it's just more stress on the body. And all y'all are are young, so like you can you can handle a little more wear and tear in your body. But uh, it does affect your joints later and everything else as we age. And the effects you do now can have longer consequences. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> but. Um, I understand that there is a point where, yeah, you, your brain wants to quit because you're tired. And the idea of pushing through to kind of reach your next level potential can be really critical for seeing improvement.
0: Yeah. I mean, with running, it's been um, a pretty good experience. But back when we used to used to cross country, um, when we were on a particularly long run, like around, I don't know, six miles, six, seven miles or so, um, it would be super tiring, but you know we would run on the streets, so we would have a lot of cars passing us, and sometimes you know some a lot of people would you know honk their horn and roll down their windows and say some stuff about uh, you know how crazy we are or to or to say good job or something and
2: play Eye of the Tiger.
0: Yeah, uh, exactly, <laughs> um, and it would just sort of uh, give you that motivation to keep going. Yeah. I remember one time I was running um, alone. This, this time I was on a uh, run alone, and it was—I think it was around 104 degrees outside. And I remember this one dude rolled down the window of his pickup truck and told and shouted, "You're you're crazy!" While I was running, and I thought that was that, that was pretty funny.
2: Did it make it, you feel good? Did it, you feel
0: powerful? It it did. I did feel powerful <laughs> because I was like, "Yeah, I, um, I am." <laughs> do something that this person cannot. Uh, but yeah, I mean, mind over matter. I think it definitely works. I mean, it's it's sort of like a, a big reason why people listen to music while running or motivational music while running. You know, I mean, it it doesn't really affect your muscles. It doesn't uh, do anything physically, but you know, mentally, it gives you that that kick. Um, yeah, I mean. I think it's definitely a real thing yeah i i think it's that's uh,
3: what i actually like about martial arts so when you do like self-exercise in normal western culture you have music you have like uh influencers or you have a goal but uh martial arts has the advantage of one being like quote unquote foreign so it's like you're out of your element if you were to join and the other thing is you have a guy you call master the entire time, like pushing you forward. You basically have hired a coach in like a specialized art and it it really pushes you to go further and further. I, I didn't realize this when I was doing my black belt training, but that was like the sole motivator. And when you, uh, as that martial artist, start teaching other people, Like, I worked as an assistant, so I had to do that. You realize the responsibility you have in pushing them
4: forward.
2: I think part of it is they're also, like, you're expecting them to uphold their end of the bargain of knowing when too much is too much, right? Because they are a master. They do know what bodies can do and what is a normal amount of pain for this new type of training and what is abnormal.
3: Yeah, no, it, there, there's a very fine balance. And like, I guess that's also another underrated part of um, learning
5: how to do something like that. Yeah, I definitely, yeah I, know that, better. I definitely agree that, you know, the master has a whole, a huge thing and all that. It's because you have that motivation, that intrinsic drive to either not disappoint them or not have them make an example out of you. So they've kind of like established their authority over you in that regard and that's what's your motivator it's very primal motivation fear but uh eventually once you reach like a certain level it translates to self self self-pride self-actualization because they masterly make it so that you they make you believe that you're doing this for yourself which you should
2: be yeah
5: (laughs) it's it's a positive reinforcement Mm mm-hmm Definitely.
2: That's why like being home with COVID and like not being able to like go to a gym and like maybe get those classes that you're used to or go to go to the dojo or anything else. Like it can be hard because finding that self-motivation, it's a lot easier to let yourself down <laughs> than to let down um, someone you respect as a master. And so it comes a lot easier to just not do it.
5: Definitely. I, I haven't been to, I haven't done martial arts in almost four years, I want to say. Oof but i still feel the drive to go back and i don't know I, at this point i've i've pretty mu- i'm at that point where i can teach myself or you know con- because uh conduct the ex techniques myself because i've built up that discipline it's just a matter of motivation yeah but getting out there in the backyard and practicing you know
2: it's hard to practice by yourself for a lot of it too.
5: Definitely, martial arts is very social. I'll be honest; like yeah. the, par- the partner forms, the sword fighting, that was those are the most fun parts of the class for me. Practicing uh, throws on each judo throws on each other, jujitsu. Yeah.
2: yeah, you can't do jitsu without throws and rolls. Like you literally can't. Like you can learn all the form, which is great, but as far as like. Great, you theoretically learned this perfect form, but can you do it against a person?
5: Yeah. Oh, and sparring, dude. Sparring.
2: Yeah, sparring is critical.
5: The best. I used to hate sparring because I was so bad at it.
2: <laughs> but that's how you get better.
5: Yeah, and now it's... And then now <laughs> I I was at that point where I actually had to hold back.
2: Oh, that's cool. All right,
5: yeah.
0: flexing, I see. <laughs> hey, hey this was four years
5: ago it's no flex I'm way out of my way way out of my element
0: I got a roundhouse kicked in the head once during taekwondo <laughs> you're good bro congratulations <laughs> all right
2: sorry I'm petting my cat <laughs> hey.
0: all right uh, Alex uh I know uh you wanted to talk about your experience with calisthenics, so we have some time yes if you want
1: So, as a preface, I wanted to see what you guys think about my, this isn't, I didn't come up with this, but I think this is really smart, this, like, mindset for fitness, right? Because Mm -hmm. one example is you're you're really good at bench press, right? Mm -hmm. But let's say you're trying to push on a wall or something. Obviously, you're not going to get the same force because when you do a bench press it's kind of isolating your chest and your arms and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but when you're pushing on the wall it's horizontal you have to balance you have to use your voice and stuff like that you have to use your legs so when i think of or when i'm going to talk about mobility and calisthenics part of it is part of the reason why i think it's good is because it's more functional Mm -hmm. and this isn't to say that like tip like normal lifting isn't functional it can be it's just if you want to do rock climbing or something like that then Mm -hmm. you're not going to really train by using like a barbell or something you Mm got to use all of your stuff you got to use your legs and your arms and your fingers all at the same time and be able to coordinate it
4: right
1: so that's i guess my my reasoning for thinking mobility and calisthenics are really important parts of fitness like not only is it important because of covid like calisthenics doesn't really take equipment as long as you're creative but it recruits more of these muscles at the same time. So when you do a pull-up or something, you're training to be able to pull up your weight. It's more
2: practical.
1: Yeah, kind of. I mean, we don't do that very much anymore, but, you know, if you were in a situation where you had to, like, climb a fence or something like that, then it would probably be better than if you only worked out in the gym and did certain like barbell or other similar exercises
5: right yeah
2: functional fitness yeah
1: i completely agree with
5: that like when you're lifting weights right you're building the your neurons are they're building up a pattern exclusively for lifting in that fashion
4: Mm -hmm. yeah
5: so i don't know like i i've lifted weights but I've never once in my life have ever done a (laughs) pull-up. So it's, there's a, I agree. There's a whole lot of things that, you know, there are, um, they have applications and so you need to practice them. And like you said, we don't need to anymore. You know, we are not finding ourselves having to climb mountains to establish settlements or whatnot, but, um, I think it's good to have, especially in some situations where, you know, it, it could be an emergency, and oh, yeah. you need to power through, but you don't have the practice. So, using all it's, of your muscles rather than targeting specific ones for physical appearance is yeah way better. Yeah, like it's, the
2: form over function. Like, are you doing it for the aesthetics? because it looks nice like but will those giant delts actually do anything for you
0: yeah i think i think yeah. it's, it's why i consider running to be one of the best exercises you can do it's just because it's 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 incredibly yeah. functional yes. and it has a lot of function in real life just being able to run run fast or run long is uh you know it's incredibly useful and having stamina has is, has a lot of function and it's also why a lot of um uh, military guys you'll see them doing uh, training with like their uh, their weaponry and their equipment on, doing bodyweight exercises with their equipment on because it helps yeah. them prepare for a combat environment. Yep.
1: It's a good um argument for like animals play with each other. They don't exercise in the way that like we think is conventional, right? Mm-hmm. Like they wrestle and they like play games and stuff like that, right? And it's extremely functional,
4: mm-hmm.
1: and it's not even it's not even a chore; it's fun, right? Mm-hmm. So I would advocate for like all aspects of fitness are good to think about like even i guess the cognitive stuff like mental sharpness and learning new skills is important and like hand-eye coordination
0: right you know sports makes for a good way for that you know basketball is a really good way to work out and you know, it's also why you'll see a lot of athletes that uh, do a lot of these kinds of movements, like uh, basketball or uh, even, you know, marathon runners. They don't have extremely bulky or super developed bodies like bodybuilders do. Because you know, at it a
2: certain all function.
0: Yeah, it's because uh, at a certain at a certain point, a lot of that muscle just becomes dead weight. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really no different than fat in that aspect and tr- other than aesthetics of course yes but i guess if we're sort of off this topic of exercise we could sort of transition into another topic that's sort of tied into all two the the past two topics which is sleep because we all know, you know, so good. sleep is, you know, sleep is sleep. Sleep is awesome. But uh, there's always, you know, being college students, sometimes we have to trade in sleep for some other aspects.
2: Yeah, for Maslow's hierarchy, it should be our base, but it's very often the tip. Yeah. Yeah. First thing to be sacrificed
0: yeah so i mean i'm in terms of um let's talk about just sleep in general because i know um we all you know everyone sleeps but (laughs) i'm curious to know what you guys think is like uh, you know the optimal way to sleep you know mechanisms for sleeping and trying to get better sleep
5: sleeping on your side why agreed (laughs) but why though most
2: are we are we talking about comfort or like actual practicality? Yeah,
5: I was I was practicality. <laughs> we're talking about practicality. I'm just talking I was joking about comfort. But um
1: yeah. I, know, I, I think there's um, sorry, were you
2: No, you going.
1: Okay. So I read a study where humans on their side the blood flow is actually better when they're sleeping on their side as opposed to like their back or their front
0: is there like a certain side because i heard like sleeping on your right side i think is better or left side i can't remember
1: i think one side like your stomach isn't symmetrical right like one side is closer to the pipe is that the right
0: side or the left side i kind of get (laughs) between the two
1: think sleeping on your left side is worse <clears throat> than your right side. Dang it. <sighs> the whatever what side it? doesn't have the pipe closer
2: to it. I, yeah, grew the, up... oh, I just Google search that sleeping on your left <laughs> is supposed to be better for your overall health because your organs are free to get rid of toxins. Mm. Yes. They, say either, they said either side is good for sleep apnea and chronic lower back pain relief. So that's nice.
5: Okay. I grew up... Um... With my parents telling me that you should sit on your left, which I thought, wait, but you could, cr- that's, you could crush your heart, which was my mm-hmm. concern. But of they said the reason why is because um, your nasal passage, uh, depending on which nostril, it, it, I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this, but um, at any given point, air is only coming in and out of one of your nostrils. And so, one of those your uh, one of those nostrils is your warm nostril, and the other one is your cold one. And so, when you sleep on your left, like gravity will, what gravity will do is it will shift the nasal passage to closing the left and opening the right, and supposedly the right is the warm one. When you sleep I on your right, you're inhaling the cold one. You're you're uh, inhaling cold air. I hate to say this, Keith, but
3: it's uh, the the sl- breathing through your nose part kind of sounds BS. I literally just
5: tested it. Check <laughs> the BS recording. What, like? I literally just breathe. Your, if you tilt your head, of course it's not going to happen instantaneous. That'd be bad design. <laughs> I'm saying like over time, you're. Nostrils will switch if you tilt your head and keep it like that for a for a while. I thought you said like at any given moment you're only
3: breathing through one nostril.
5: Yeah, that's what I mean. No, I, I'm saying true. you can't. I'm saying you don't that's switch not- it instantaneously. Like, no, we're, all, really we're all trying it
4: right now.
2: is, uh, like breathing. I think like not- there's
5: more air coming out of one than the other, right? Yeah. Okay, that's different than saying only one. Volume and is different. It's like the ma- yeah, the majority is coming out from that one. Because right now we're facing upright. So it's kind of in the middle.
1: But yeah. Mm-hmm. So one is slower because you can breathe in you can feel more I guess you can sense more sense if you breathe one of them breathes slower. Like that's the, the purpose for it. Mm-hmm. You
5: ever notice how when you're sick, like one nose is always like super plugged and the other one is running? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's because of that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think I think sleep definitely does have an effect on your breathing and your nostrils, especially because I found that. Uh, you know how I told you guys about that uh, the ear problem that I have?
5: Yeah, yeah. I
0: found I found that um, uh, when I when I sleep when I wake up on certain days my ears are more uh giving or more irritated than other days so i think that might actually be what side of sleep i haven't like uh, tracked it but i think i should and Mishwing, uh just to clarify which ear problem i'm talking about basically um so i went to the doctor my the ENT specialist and she said that there's this uh natural swelling you have in your nose that blocks off the connection from your ears to your nose but okay. I I don't have that, so every time Ooh. every time I breathe, Mutant. yeah, every time I breathe in through my nose and out, it sort of I can control my ears getting plugged. Wow, so,
2: that sounds exhausting.
0: So if I if I inhale um, through my nose, my ears get plugged, and then when I exhale, they get open again, and it's uh, it can huh. get it can give on some days it's it gets more irritated than others so um i think that's why i thought that I might it might actually have something to do with the way i sleep on in certain positions yeah. be, making it a bit more irritated but uh, i think i'll we'll have to track that I, i'm not sure though
3: that explains why you can never hear us when we're on call and you're running <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah
5: all right so for sleep i think the main thing that we wanted to talk about was hours uh mm-hmm. you should be sleeping quality of sleep and sleep cycle in general so to start off um, let's talk about the sleep cycle if i um, remember if i remember much from psych it's that there were five stages yes and then the three three of those stages is just falling asleep, and then there's REM and then NREM.
2: Yeah, there's NREM and also like um, as far as the falling asleep, three is kind of in that transitional zone, and of course that gets shorter um, when we're getting over to the sleep sleep time. But of course, then you've got like the hypnagogic sleep where we have those like twitching moments, or like we're falling and then we wake ourselves up um, when we splat against the ground and everything. <laughs> like that so and then of course the deeper sleep where we have the vivid dreams so the more colorful vibrant dreams we remember as opposed to more of the mundane dreams where like maybe you do your morning routine maybe you're driving somewhere there's there's different types of dreams based on the REM or based on the sleep stage excuse me
5: yeah I don't know if you saw it, but we actually had an episode on dreams where we talked about why we dream and some dreams we had that we remembered. And we definitely talked about uh, REM and its uh, effect, but we didn't really go too much into depth on why REM is helpful and why it improves your, you know... So does anyone have anything they'd like to say about sleep?
2: Yes, you should do it. Well, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you say of course, but um, the eight hour a a day thing is lies. Um, Everyone can kind of manage their own level of sleep. Eight is just meant to be kind of like a guideline. There is that very, very small percentage of the world. I think it was like 2%, but do not quote me on that. people that are perfectly fine with four hours of sleep a night and like they run totally physiologically well, their bodies are great. They have no mental um, shortcomings or fallbacks because of the lack of sleep. So like just based on our biology, we have different needs, but the seven to eight is kind of like a general amount in which our body can fully go into several stages of REM to kind of clear out all of the kind of like the toxins that accumulate every day just by thinking. Uh, we have a lot of those like free radicals that build up between our synapses and sleep is a time where they can get flushed out. And mm-hmm. so if we're not getting enough sleep, of course, um, issues of memory will happen <laughs> very quickly and other obvious things.
5: Yeah. That was like, that was the activation synthesis theory we discussed. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I think it's also, um, worth talking about not only the hours of sleep, but the time you sleep at, because I know, um, uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, obviously you should you sleep at night, but why you should sleep at night? I think that's a, sometimes can get um, a bit confusing, and I think um, for me personally, I found that if uh, when I'm when I'm awake at night, because I've I've done a couple of all nighters uh, in the past uh, when I was studying for finals and stuff, and I found that uh, when I s- stay awake like past 2 30 my heartbeat like starts to rise a lot
2: yeah uh-huh. and,
0: and i even even if i sleep during the day if i'm awake at night past 2 30 my heartbeat gets really uh fast for no reason and it just sort of i get super uneasy
2: it's actually pretty common um your body is literally having to work harder to continue its processes because imagine like you doing a laborious task all day, right? And then normally, like, okay, I get off at a certain time, I stop. So your body is expecting to get a break, and -hmm. you're not giving it a break. So it's like, wait, bruh, I still have to do all this? Like, are you kidding me? And so then it has to kick it up and just to keep you at a normal baseline.
0: Right. And even with the working out, too, it's like – I know I've uh, heard and read that um, if you're working out, then the best – time you should sleep is between 11 and five because uh that's the those are the hours your body produces the most amount of melatonin and melatonin helps with muscle recovery so mm. if you're working out and you need to get the gains then you should sleep at night
2: good reasoning good reasoning but then there's of course people with the sleep disorder is that literally their circadian rhythm is flipped
5: right yeah I wanted to bring up, so we said that we sleep for this many hours or we should be sleeping for this many hours to get as many, uh, a healthy amount of REM cycles in each night. But the one thing that I feel like that we've talked about this a lot and the one thing that we've had disagreements over is if the time at which we get that sleep actually matters. Now, I know mm-hmm. that staying up all night it is different than staying up during the day. I, for one, have a lot of experience with staying up all night. But um, the thing I wanted to address was that. uh, One second. Okay. So I wanted to address that. I. When I sleep, it doesn't really necessarily. Matter what time. For example, just that you sleep. Yeah, that I could sleep in the. In college, what I did was I slept in the morning and I would wake up in the afternoon and then I would stay up all night to do my homework because obviously I'd already slept during the day. Why would I sleep at night? And I didn't really feel much of a difference in terms of. I didn't feel negative at all, but I did feel a lot better overall. Um, in terms of like how I felt, cause mm-hmm. it felt like I wasn't forcing myself to sleep within a certain time period. And as a result, waking up when I shouldn't be or waking up on a schedule, obviously I have to wake up for classes, but, um, <laughs> having not having a schedule, a set schedule, like, uh, you go from. I don't know, 11 p.m. to, what, 7 p.m.? The 7 a.m., that's eight hours. Having a set schedule like that, it works for people, but it just doesn't work for me. And I think that just getting that sleep is more important than getting that sleep at a certain time.
2: Hmm. I mean, as long as your body is sleeping, I think that's important. Um, There's the argument that as humans, we were only meant to sleep in four-hour blocks. And part of it allowed us to um, do some of our hunting at night or pursuing at night and then rest. And so the idea of having like solid chunks of sleep is not actually as critical as we have been led to believe has been brought up a lot as well. I don't think the problem, the biggest problem is that um, sleep is still very much a mystery to scientists as far as knowing, like we don't know, we still don't know why we dream. Uh, We still don't know a lot of things about how our physiology reacts to sleep. And so I, I think it's really hard for us to figure out as like a, catch-all phrase like what works best for people and then eventually over time you kind of have to figure out your own method like some people love to nap some people can't and so just kind of learning yourself and making the effort to establish a pattern in some way i guess
0: yeah i mean my brother's one of those people who like once he gets off the bed he 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 doesn't go to sleep at all until at night Mm -hmm. so he, he doesn't do any napping i'm the opposite i can go to sleep at practically any time but, but even then, I feel like, like having a, like certain, because I think you could, you could not have a schedule, but I feel like your body would still create its own, like circadian rhythm. But would,
2: find would, would
0: there be, would there be like any negative effects if you'd like, like n- just hypothetically, if you took someone and you had them for like a month? just sleep at different times every single day i'm not um it's actually a
2: type of torture <laughs> um kind of like the sleep deprivation issue is like messing yeah. with people's sleep schedules um is akin to psychological torture because your body just starts kind of going into overdrive because it can't right. stabilize it can't find normalcy because yeah.
0: mm-hmm. so, uh, i think one part I of like, maintaining homeostasis is sleep right
4: Hmm.
2: Absolutely. We need sleep for that. And so you'll notice a lot of things go downhill, mm-hmm. um, when you're not <laughs> sleeping yeah. or at least not getting enough. I know for me, um, I've been going to bed and getting like, I hypothetically I'm getting eight hours of sleep, but the sleep tracker I'm using, I'm only getting on average around four. Yeah. And, uh, it's been like a month. I'm going to a sleep specialist to figure it out, but they can't, they can't figure out why it's happening. And I know that I've noticed a huge oh. issue and a bunch of other things. Um, regarding how to actually be rested and to just function normally. Like even driving and like things that don't take that much mental energy, everything is so much harder. So
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of like um like my parents say that you shouldn't um one after you come from a run, you shouldn't get in the shower immediately because your body it changes temperatures real quick and it could lead lead you to get sick. And I just uh, I sort of found that for me personally, that process also holds true for sleep. so if I um uh, if I uh, don't stick to my natural circadian rhythm for like if I switch it up a lot, then it tends to uh, lead to get lead to me getting sick personally.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah, your immune system goes into overdrive for sure. Yeah.
1: So. It's kind of weird. Like, she mentioned how he sleeps kind of whenever he feels like it.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: So I was wondering... Hello? How does it make sense that he feels better sleeping whenever if, like, the circadian rhythm is responsible for maintaining a lot of processes and making them work correctly
0: i think i think you could talk about
2: as far as like why is he um finding it to be okay
1: yeah like i don't see why yeah
0: I
2: like why would he feel okay if it's meant to be a specific type of way to be a specific type of homeostasis yeah Well, I think part of it is just that, like, although we like to make everyone kind of be in a neat and tidy box, as far as, like, how we expect people to sleep, not everyone sleeps the same way. It is possible that he has different sleep genes, because we have noted that there are different types of sleepers, and so it's possible that um, he doesn't need as much stability, and it's also possible that he might be thinking he's doing well, but he might be operating on a suboptimal level. That's also a thing.
5: Yeah, I mean, there's no way for me to actually know, but <laughs> it's. There was this thing that I remember you mentioned reading up on called Chronotypes, how everyone has a different uh, chronotype, and it affects at what time they're genetically meant to be asleep. So could you elaborate on that? Me? Just anyone?
2: <laughs> oh, I don't know. enough I don't think I feel confident enough in my knowledge of chronotypes to be super helpful. Um, I know that there are, we have found that although it sounds a little pseudosciencey, um, there are more genes established with types of sleep of like, when do you like to go to bed? When are you most alert? When do you like to go to sleep? And so there are genetic patterns to that preference as well. That's about all I got.
1: <laughs> I've got a couple things.
2: Um,
1: I don't know if anybody's read Why We Sleep by um, Matthew Walker, some (laughs) Berkeley professor. He talks a lot about night owls and morning larks. So it's kind of this spectrum that is strongly determined by genetics. And it's like between... It's generally between, like, 9 p.m. where people would go to sleep and, like, 2 2 a.m. And the, I guess, the biological reasoning or the evolutionary reasoning is if people go to sleep at 9 and wake up at 5 while other people go to sleep at, like, 2 a.m. and wake up at, like, 9 or whatever, then there's only, like, three or four hours where a threat could come in and do something to their tribe instead of the full eight hours. Hmm. So as a result, um, in part of what I was reading, since part of the... There's a societal push for people to be morning larks, right? Or a lot of jobs... Early to
2: bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah,
1: the metaphor he uses in the book is like it's kind of when you're asking a night owl to wake up early it's kind of like a cold engine on an early morning start where like it takes time to warm up and doesn't perform optimally before Mm -hmm. it warms up so as a result night owls are more likely to suffer from depression and heart attack and stuff like that interesting okay so
5: i think the last thing we wanted to do was tie everything together how sleep exercise and diet all come together so i remember akash briefly touched upon how um when you sleep your body after working out your body is processing the um yep i guess i forgot how you explained yeah
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically, melatonin uses, um, helps you sleep deeper. I think it was
3: melatonin. And when the and it when you sleep deep, uh, essentially it build your helps, muscles. Uh, and if you're not getting that muscle sleep, growth. or muscle, it's uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Definitely.
2: Growth. Definitely. Ho- growth hormone is released in okay. deep sleep. And so, if you aren't getting melatonin, you're not getting to deep sleep, you're not getting growth hormone. Mm
5: hmm. And as for diet and exercise, obviously they're connected because exercise, you need calories to work out. And diet is where you get your calories from. So making sure that you get what you need in order to have the energy.
2: Yeah, and get the gains you want.
5: Yeah, especially with weight loss. I remember reading that Exercise is really only 30% of weight loss. 70% is actually diet. Making sure that you're eating right and um, you're not overeating or you're not screwing with your metabolism. Yeah. Eating and sleep, the whole thing about, uh, like you said, um, one, one of you mentioned that you looked up the article about GERDs and how... The, the interaction
2: heart- between the sleep.
5: Yeah, the heartburn can be a cause of... Uh, or it could be caused by sleep as well as the food.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh,
2: okay. Same way how like alcohol affects our sleep cycle too.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah, I, I have a personal theory. I think it's, it's pretty logical. Um, I think the end-all be-all question is bringing it down to good habits. And the scary part is, how do we establish it, right? So, Michu, I- I'd like to ask you, um, do you think it's better, uh, personally, to work on all of these aspects holistically or maybe just do one at a time and hope, and then um, hopefully they'll all tie together at the end?
2: That's a rough one. Um, I like the... There's like two adages I like, right? Like don't half-ass two things, like whole-ass one thing. But there's also the very good valid point that like anything worth doing is worth doing badly. Um, So if you do really want to focus on one of those things, I understand that because taking the mental energy to focus on everything, like it's a full-time job taking care of yourself. You know, like you're a very expensive and exhausting pet. And so keeping track of all your stuff is a really hard. And so like, if you, for example, struggle with sleep, it makes sense to focus on sleep then on your diet and exercise. But since everything is so inextricable, like I think someone mentioned like the Trinity aspect, like it's just so combined, you can't disentangle them that maybe if you do have a preference towards one, you're still going to have to at least attempt to half-ass the other two as well. Or you're not going to see the full gains of the one you really want to pay attention to. So yeah. That would be my two cents.
3: Yeah. Uh, I think it's also um, just a last minor point. If you do work on one, it will likely spill over to the other two. Like if you mm-hmm. focus on exercise, your sleep will get better. And hopefully like that can round itself in the same way that your heart like harming yourself in one way will cause it's like the negative feedback loop same works the same way with positive.
5: Yeah, like when you work out, you are determined to eat better foods because you're just like, okay, I just spent all this time, you know, burning fat or building muscle. I don't want to put it to waste.
2: Exactly. Not worth it.
1: I think it would be, I got a decent example for highlighting, like, emphasizing the feedback loop thing. So a lot of people are obese in america right and a lot of people have like 18 million people have like sleep apnea which makes their sleep quality a lot worse and so obesity leads to this sleep apnea problem and then the problem with sleep gives you like a lack of energy so you don't want to work on your diet or your exercising and stuff like that so the problem like Mm -hmm. keeps compounding in a negative way so when they would like go in and see a doctor sometimes they'll like help them open up their airway and when they did that their sleep quality is a lot better and then as a result they have the energy again to start exercising and working on yeah. diet and so like just want to emphasize that if one thing is super bad then it can just lead to the rest yeah. of them falling apart
2: absolutely we're such an intricate like homeostatic system right. well, we need uh, all the pieces to be working
0: that's it for everyone should we conclude or at
2: least functioning <laughs> that's fine yeah yeah sorry i know i'm the one that has more of a timeline than the rest of you guys so i'm sorry for cutting some of this short
3: my stomach would disagree with you um (laughs) let's change it up a bit miss reed do you have any closing words
2: closing words oh shoot um thanks for having me i've never been on a podcast before (laughs) <laughs> it was really good I to hear you guys' voices. For the um, time. It's been it's been a lot of years since I last saw you. So.
0: Yeah, no, I oh, think we're nice. meeting for the second time. I <laughs> think I met nice. you up yeah um, was nice prom I should... when I came to. Uh, I was nice to meet you guys G's too. Prom. At, at,
2: at Sorry, the second
4: time.
0: So, I guess we're talking for the second time. Oh, nice. <laughs> yes, please do, and and, and share it. <laughs>
2: That's kind of fun. I'll definitely have to look up your guys' podcast. All right. Well. um, Subscribe. Yes.
0: Alex, no, you cannot (laughs) say that. Of
2: course. That's that's my line. Subscribe and share. Naturally. Yeah. All right.
0: Well, (laughs) uh, I guess we'll conclude then. That is it for our episode. I want to thank everyone for listening in. We hope you had an enjoyable time. And this has been an incredibly enjoyable episode to talk about. I want to give a special thanks and shout out to Mishwini who took time out of her Friday afternoon to talk to us and yeah likewise and for (laughs) the listeners i know quarantine can be a challenging situation but hang in there it was was worth i had a good time with you guys hopefully and in the meantime if you haven't already please listen to our other episodes we are this is officially our last episode of season one so we have completed nine episodes check all of them out listen to them and give us feedback and follow us on Instagram at True Leisure Podcast and Twitter for and on at True Leisure for more updates. We hope you have a wonderful day and stay tuned for the next season. We will be back with some more riveting conversations in season two. We also have something planned in the interval between season between season one and season two, so also stay tuned for that. And have a good one.